Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of The Epic Pencil, a weekly evening of original fiction, conversations with writers, and more. I'm your host, Chris Watson. Thanks for joining me. Where do we find inspiration? What sequence of events or ideas sets us off on a creative journey? I came across this quote from Neil Gaiman recently. You get ideas from daydreaming. You get ideas from being bored. You get ideas all the time. The only difference between writers and other people is we notice when we're doing it. When I'm talking to other writers, either here on the Epic Pencil or out in the real world, I'm always fascinated to learn what triggered their creative efforts. For me, Circle's Call and the other planned books in the quartet owe their existence in part to a trip to the South Dakota Badlands that I took with my father and sister years ago. While there, we spent time spelunking by lantern light in Jewel Cave National Monument and camped in the Sage Creek Wilderness Areas of Badlands National Park. While in the tent, I found myself sitting up in the middle of the night with my flashlight on, jotting down ideas that I didn't want to lose. Many years later, the inspirations from that trip resulted in my first novel. Well, excluding the sci-fi novel I wrote in college that will never see the light of day. Anyhow, let's put pencil to paper and continue the story of Circle's Call. Chapter 2. The Sack of Selmar His younger officers didn't understand, but truthfully, Oscar Kasegian did not mind the reports that came when leading the guard in Selmar. After 25 years of service along the ice spine, Kasegian was able to put up with the paperwork in exchange for the relative comfort of life in the city. No more tromping from one mountain red out to another, battling raiding parties crossing the border from Bethania, or missing Megan and the children for months at a time. He'd accepted the transfer to Selmar three months earlier with thanks, recognizing it for what it was, a reward for years of service. It came with a promotion to Major and the title of Commander of the Selmaran Watch, which certainly had a more dramatic ring to it than Captain Kasegian of the Border Regiments. Megan approved of the change, along with their new holding outside the city on a nice plot of land that most old soldiers would be pleased to call home. Not that he was retired yet, he thought with a soft laugh, his hand unconsciously tracing the scar that followed his jaw and then cut up towards his right eye. Life in Selmar, while not quite so energetic as in the border guards, filled his days and nights. With 50,000 residents and hundreds of vessels arriving and departing every month, the Selmaran guard had their hands full keeping order in Regentine's largest seaport. Tomorrow, he thought, tomorrow I'll be home with Megan and the children now that the chaos of the Lady Protector's Jubilee is done. Tonight, however, he was on duty. He lifted his mug, took a sip of his now lukewarm tea, and turned back to the reports, only to look up in surprise as the faint sound of the harbor-side bell drifted into his office. Kasejian stood and stepped out onto his office balcony, eighty feet above the garrison courtyard. Echoes of the bell rolled up the hill and through the streets. He stared intently through the fog, seeking a sign of what triggered the alarm. Then a breath of air cleared the view to Market Row, and his eyes widened as he saw armed men surging through the streets from the harbor, only to have the sight cut off again as the fog rolled back over the street. Suddenly the blast of night guard whistles cut through the night from streets throughout the city. To arms! 
he bellowed, striding back into his office. Berger, his valet, was already there to meet him with Kasegian's cuirass in hand. The major slipped it on and took up his long blade and dagger even as Berger tightened his armor. Moments later, Kasegian charged down the stairs as the day guard, roused from sleep in their barracks, began to pour out into the courtyard. To arms! Kasegian cried again. Raiders coming from the harbor! The first squads were at the gates and preparing to charge into the city when a runner stumbled through the gates and into the courtyard, holding his blood-stained side. Captain Waring's compliments, Major, gasped the runner. Raiders in the town. We don't know how many. Two hundred and fifty, maybe more. It's hard to be sure in the fog. He broke off suddenly, dropping to one knee and clutching his wound. Waving off aid, he continued through clenched teeth. The captain thinks they're mostly on Market Row. We heard him in Gem Lane, Chandler's Row, and as far as High Knob. That's where one of them stuck me as I was coming. Kasegian nodded. Thank you, Private. He beckoned to an orderly. See to this man's wound. Turning back to the assembled day guard, he called out, Lieutenant Savell, take your men to Market Row. Lieutenant Trout, split your men between Gem Lane and Chandler's Row while working your way to the docks. Sergeant Jaskin, you and eight men will come with me as a flying squad operating out of the auction block. Corporal Magan, send a runner to Lady Helmway with my compliments and request the aid of her guards, healers, and the stanchion. Move it! With a roar, the men drew their weapons and charged into the city to reinforce the beleaguered night guard and defend their home. Glancing behind him as a distant boom rumbled through the tight streets, Kasegian wiped the sweat from his brow as he fought to catch his breath. His flying squad initially encountered only a few easily dispatched individual raiders, but as they moved farther into the city, he realized that Waring's initial estimate of as many as 250 to 300 raiders might not be far off the mark, and in this damnable fog it was anyone's guess as to where they all were. Lieutenant Savell had reported surprising resistance in Jam Lane as the raiders elected not to retreat quietly, but instead to hold out until they'd sacked and looted all that wasn't nailed down. Report, Corporal. The soot-stained Corporal looked up at his commander. One of them warehouses just blew up, Major. It took a mess of raiders with it. Blew up? Yes, sir. I think it was storing grain. At least that's what it smelled like once it started burning. Kasegian swore violently. That had to be Macabre's warehouses. That damn fool had been warned before about the dangers of loose grain dust in his buildings. The only saving grace was that idiot's lack of care had at least taken a few raiders with it when it ignited. With a sigh, he looked back at the messenger. Anything else? Yes, sir. Lieutenant Trout's compliments, and he thinks a large group of raiders is heading to the southern warehouses by way of Mogtown. Very well. Find Trout and tell him we'll be in the vicinity of Agnes Alley. Yes, sir, snapped the corporal, and he limped off into the fog. The major reached over to tighten the makeshift bandage on his arm, the result of a light wound inflicted by a raider's cutlass. Jaskin, we're going to move out and try to cut off some raiders. I want crossbows at the ready when we get there. Right, sir. We're down by one, sir. Private Ashap is banged up pretty good. The sergeant paused and looked pointedly at Kasegin's arm. Begging your pardon, sir, but perhaps you should consider remaining here with him? Kasegin snorted. Thanks for the suggestion, sergeant, but I'll be fine. Come on. Of course, sir, replied Sergeant Jaskin.
Kasejian smiled grimly as the squat sergeant moved away, bellowing for his men and no doubt resolving to keep an eye on his major as any good sergeant should do when overseeing the care and feeding of his officers. Kasejian's six remaining men crouched in the darkness, blades in hand except for the two crossbowmen. The major knelt beside a water cask, trying to ignore the pale face of the prostitute lying nearby. The young woman's black hair spilled out across the dirt and away from her head, which lay twisted at an unnatural angle. As they'd prepared their ambush, he had taken a moment to pull her torn blue shift back down over her ravaged hips and legs, but there was no time to move her back inside. Not that she'd care anymore, he thought ruefully. She's almost as young as Chassie, who, thank the judges, is safely home with her sister and Megan. Then the slapping of boots and bare feet in the darkness called him back to Agnes Alley. Damn it, Kenton, he heard a raider swear. Did you get us lost again? I'm tired of carrying this crap while you get us more turned around. Shut your gob, Zek. I know where we are. We used to drink at that tavern we just passed. A bit further and work the stairs leading to the boats. The voices grew louder and figures began to emerge from the fog. Kasejian swore under his breath. There had to be at least twenty or more in this group. Well, we're in the shit now. Oh well, that's why you wanted to be in charge, he thought to himself, so you get to make these life or death decisions. His whistle split the air and crossbow bolts thrummed out at point-blank range. He saw two raiders go down as a bolt from one bow passed clean through the skull of the first man and embedded itself in the second. Kasejian leaped forward with a shout, sword flashing outward at the nearest target. His small band boiled out of their hiding places, screaming like madmen, swords seeking raiders' throats and bellies. Silver goblets, coins, gemstones, and more clattered to the ground as the raiding party scrabbled for their weapons. Kasejian's arm went numb as he parried a raider's two-handed cutlass blow. He swept it away, lunging inside the raider's guard with his second blade and driving that dagger deep into the man's gut. Wrenching it up and out, he stepped aside as the man dropped to his knees, hands clutching desperately at the gaping wound. Kasejian turned and thrust his sword into another man's side, catching the raider unawares as he grappled with one of Kasejian's men. Major! The cries snapped Kasejian's head around, but he stumbled and went down to one knee. The bejeweled candlestick that had betrayed his footing spun off into the darkness as he glanced up, watching as the raider's axe rose and then slashed downward. Before it could reach him, another guardsman crashed into the raider, knocking him to the side so the axe whistled past the Kasejian's left. As the axeman sought to regain his balance, the guardsman and Jaskin were there, blades stabbing downward. The barrel-chested sergeant reached out to grasp Kasejian's left arm and hauled him upright. You okay, sir? Yes, sergeant, thank you. Kasejian glanced around. And thank you, trooper, he said to the young man who had struck Kasejian's attacker. The last of the raiders fell with a cry, and the men of Kasejian's flying squad took a collective breath as the swift, brutal action ended. Kasejian knelt to wipe his blades on the pants of a fallen raider, His men, all six, stood over the bodies. A few worked to bandage their own wounds, but all were on their feet and ready to go. Everyone okay? Time to move on. Let's get to the docks.
The thinning fog revealed raider longboats streaming away from the docks, but there would be no opportunity to follow them as several ships and buildings along the shoreline were ablaze, a parting gift from the raiders to forestall pursuit. Ring for the fire brigades! Roust every able-bodied adult in the area and get them down here now! Kasegian bellowed. We need to prevent those fires from spreading! He turned towards a knot of men. Where's Lieutenant Savell? Injured, sir, replied a corporal. Pretty badly. Right. Trout. Sir. The junior day guard lieutenant turned from a makeshift bucket brigade and dashed to his commander. Trout, get the initial fire response organized. Savell is injured, so it's your show until I get back. I'm heading for the dockside tower to make sure there are no more surprises in store. Yes, sir, replied the young man who turned away, gesturing to several sergeants nearby. Jaskin, take charge of the flying squad and assist Lieutenant Trout and Captain Waring as needed. The sergeant saluted as Kasegian turned, limping toward the dockside tower. After a moment, he turned and found the young private who had saved him in Agnes Alley at his heels. What are you doing, private? The guardsman straightened and saluted. Sergeant Jaskin ordered me to accompany you, sir, to act as your escort. Did he now? The young men remained silent. All right, said the Major. What's your name, then? Rospin, sir. Okay, Private Rospin, let's go, Kasegian said, and turned toward the watchtower, his blood-spattered escort trotting alongside. The two men stared up at the sixty-foot-high tower, and its open door beckoned. It wouldn't make sense for the raiders to have left anyone here after they dispatched the tower watch, but if they had, climbing the interior stairs followed by the exterior ladders to the two platforms would not be any fun at all. Kasegian nodded. Very well, let's go in and up, shall we? He took a step toward the door but came to a halt as Rossman stepped in front of him. Begging your pardon, sir, but maybe I should be the first one in. And why would that be, Private? the Major asked. Rospin swallowed hard before answering. Because Sergeant Jaskin said he'd make me wish my ma'am had never whelped me if I let anything happen to you, sir, and that's a quote. Kasegian laughed. All right, if Sergeant Jaskin wishes to pull rank, I guess he's earned the right. Very well, Private, up you go. With a nod, Rospin turned and, blade drawn, entered the tower. Without pause, he scrambled up the stairs as Kasegian entered the ground floor. Mid-level looks clear, Major. I'm heading to the top. All right, I'm right behind you. Wincing as the injury to his arm flared anew, Kasegian started up the stairs. A few moments later, he stood atop Dockside Tower with Private Rospin, who was kneeling beside one of two dead men. One appeared to have been taken by surprise. His throat slashed almost all the way through. The other lay by the bell, hand outstretched, clothed in the uniform of a night constable, with a horrible wound in his back. "'Do you know their names, Rospin?' the Major asked, gently rolling each man onto his back and closing their eyes. "'Gamison, sir. He was the tower guard. I think the other is Liddell.' "'Liddell. He did well, did our constable. He knew he was going to die, and he still made it to the alarm bell to warn us.' Remind me to speak to his family if they're here in the city. Yes, sir. Kasegian stood. The sun was rising out over the sea and beginning to burn off the fog. He squinted and saw the raider longboats in the distance approaching the mouth of the harbor. 
Snatching up one of the tower's heavy telescopes, he stared out at the raiding parties. Two sleek vessels, black outlines in front of the sun, slid around the point and into view, sailing toward the long boats. Rossman, take a telescope and tell me if you can see anything special about those two ships. I want to know who they are. The private stepped up next to his commander, raising another telescope to his eyes. I can't be sure, Major, looking into the sun like this. The pair stood silently, each man leaning out against the parapet to get just a bit closer to the mysterious ships as they turned in unison and vanished to the north and the south. Damn, Kasegian swore again under his breath. All right, Rospin, time to go. Thanks for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to close with another observation from Neil Gaiman from his brilliant story Coraline. Fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. As always, I look forward to feedback. Please reach out to me at chris at pretendingtowrite.com. Next week, I return to the world of Amastria and the world of Circle's Call. And until we read again next week, please enjoy a great book or two and remember to support your local independent booksellers. The content of the Epic Pencil and Circle's Call is copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson. <laughs>